you to Hebrews 9 and verse 11. Hebrews 9 11. <clears throat> we were singing that song. I, I never, whenever I hear that song, He Touched Me, it takes me back uh, to the time of my salvation. It was actually, I heard the song before I was saved, but uh, it was infused with meaning when I actually met the Savior that it was written about. And uh, what a blessing to know Jesus Christ. And those blessings just continue. Uh, there's the blessings of his word and the blessings of his presence. And one day, we're going to get to heaven. And those blessings are just going to continue. And uh, it, it, it all is because of the cross. My Savior took what I deserved and he gave me what he deserved. And because of that, uh, I'll never be the same. And uh, I thank him for that. And, uh, you know, we need to, to understand and, and think about the blessings of our salvation. And uh, this scripture actually talks about what Christ's death accomplishes for us. And uh, the blessings that his death brings to our life, his sacrifice. Uh, the, the Day of Atonement is the background of this scripture and uh, that that would happen once a year on the Jewish calendar and the high priest would go into the holy of holies ultimately with the sacrifice that was offered at the burnt offering um, the altar burnt offering and then of course the blood would be placed on the altar of incense and then it would actually be taken in to the holy of holies and put upon the mercy seat there in the Holy of Holies, and it was a picture of what Jesus would do. Because guess what? Jesus was on the cross paying for our sin, but because he is God the Son, he was also in heaven offering his offering before the Father uh, while he suffered there upon the tree. And in two locations, something very significant was happening uh, Jesus paid the price and changed things forever for us and brought in the new covenant where our redemption uh, could be fulfilled. So uh, we need to put our trust in him and praise him and thank him for the blessings he's given us. And the title is The Blessings of Our Salvation. So let's look at verse 11 and read the scripture. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time. Not by the blood of bulls and, or of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling of those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve or worship the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established. 
For a will is valid only when people die, since it is never in effect while the one who made it is living. That is why even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. For when every command had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the articles of worship with blood. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times, as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So the blessings of our salvation, what are they? Well, through Christ... God uh, blesses us with a perfectly clear conscience. Look at verse 11. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Jesus went in the more perfect tabernacle. He's just finished saying in verse 9 that the earthly worship could not perfect the worshiper's conscience. And of course, later on in the, in the, in the uh, chapter, he's also going to talk about the cleansing of our conscience. But this perfectly clear conscience was able to be done in the perfect tabernacle. Why? Because it's a spiritual tabernacle. It can deal with a spiritual problem. The earthly tabernacle just dealt with the outward problem. that The sin that had been committed, but it couldn't change the heart. Jesus' spiritual work in the heavenly places, even though there was a physical death at the cross... There was a spiritual work in heaven that conquered sin and paid for it forever and took away the guilt of sin. I remember this so clearly. Um, I was raised in church because uh, uh, I had the drug problem. My parents drug me to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And so I'd heard all about the sins that I was committing. I knew what I was doing was wrong, and I had this sense of guilt. I was living one way at school, and I was living another way at church. I knew how to play the game, but I had a guilt upon my heart. But I'm going to tell you something. When I repented of my sin and put my trust in Jesus Christ, praise his name, the guilt was gone. Uh, God took it away, and uh, no longer, because I know Jesus, I don't have to worry about my failures of the past. But I can say along with Paul, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, I love the fact that uh, 
Jesus told this story about the Pharisee and the publican, you know, and, and the Pharisees being all proud. Well, God, I thank you that I'm not like this guy, this worthless guy here. You know, and, uh, the, the publican won't even lift his head. He, he has such guilt upon his heart that he's beating his chest and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the guilt was weighing upon his heart. But I want to tell you something. Jesus said he went home justified. Uh, David said in his prayer after his sin with Bathsheba and, and killing Uriah, he says, uh, Lord, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And uh, I thank God that when guilty sinners come to Jesus Christ, he removes the burden of guilt and gives them his joy. What a huge blessing. And then we can come and confess our sins and repent of our sins as Christians when we fail. And God continues to do that ministry of giving us that clear conscience and so that we can move on. Uh, so the blessings of our salvation, what are they? First of all, a perfectly clear conscience. Secondly, an eternal redemption. Look at verse 12. He entered the most holy place once for all time. Not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. What's redemption? Well, redemption is the price that is paid. Uh, a redemption uh, was, uh, was taking place uh, in the garden when Jesus, uh, or, or the, the uh, pre-incarnate Christ, um, kills the animal. You remember that story? Kills the animals and then he makes clothing for Adam and Eve and it covers over their nakedness and, and, and it uses the word for atonement. It's a beautiful picture of how God covers our sin. Uh, so this, this idea of sacrifice from the earliest time since ever sin entered into the picture, uh, this idea of redemption was present. But it was also present in the idea of God redeeming Israel from captivity in Egypt. He says, I have redeemed you with a strong arm and an outstretched hand. And uh, God, uh, in mighty power, overcame Pharaoh, overcame all the power of the Egyptians, so that if you've seen those pictures on the internet, you can actually see where the plants grew around the chariot wheels under the uh, the water in the Red Sea where God did his mighty work of power uh, there in delivering the, the Israelites. So redemption is a price paid. It's also a deliverance accomplished. Both things happened at the cross. Jesus paid the price for my sin. And praise God, I have an eternal redemption. My sin is covered for all time. Uh, it will never be an issue between me and God again in terms of my position before him. I am secure in the work of redemption that Jesus has accomplished for me. It's appointed a man once to die and after that the judgment. Jesus died once to pay the price for my sin and for yours so that we could avoid the judgment and wrath of God and be covered by the blood of Jesus. Um, he also delivered me, <laughs> and he delivered you. Uh, the scripture says that we were under the authority of the prince of darkness. Colossians tells us that. 
we have when we put our trust in Jesus. We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. So he set me free. Listen, I don't belong to the devil. He has no authority over me. I belong to Jesus Christ. He has delivered me from the powers of darkness. He has delivered me from the power of sin. I love what uh, Galatians says. It says, those who walk in the Spirit will surely not fulfill the desire of the flesh. This is, this is God's gift of deliverance. The Holy Spirit's come to live within us, to deliver us from sin's power. We don't have to live in sin, praise God. We don't have to follow the culture. We can stand and we can live different lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and bring glory to God through His grace and His power that He accomplished through Christ's mighty redemption. Uh, because of what Jesus did, I have the power to overcome sin. I'm seated in heavenly places with Jesus. Uh, right now, uh, I am with Him in spirit uh, in heavenly places, and I have the power. He said, Lo, I am with you always. Because of that, I have power. And uh, what, a, what a great truth. Uh, so, an eternal redemption. So, thank and praise His name. Listen, I want to tell you something. If you're a child of God, you never have to worry about being accepted. You are accepted. You don't have to worry about being reconciled. You are reconciled. You don't have to worry about becoming His child. You are His child for all time. It's a settled work once for all at the cross. Hallelujah. So, the blessings of our salvation. First of all, a perfectly clear conscience. Secondly, an eternal redemption. Thirdly, a thorough cleansing. Look at verses 13 and 14. I Actually, look at verse 14. Verse 13 talks about the old bulls, goats and bulls and so forth. But verse 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God? Now, I love what Isaiah says to the people of Israel. He says, Come, let us reason together. He's, of course, speaking for God. Though your sin be as scarlet, it shall be as white as snow. Though it be red like crimson, it shall be as wool. Uh, this is the cleansing work of Jesus Christ. As he takes his uh, 409 and sprays it upon our hearts, okay, and uh, uh, wipes away every stain of sin, every pollution of sin. This is the cleansing work of Jesus Christ. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ has made it possible for me, a sinner, to enter the presence of God in prayer and worship because he has clothed me in his beautiful, pristine, white robes of righteousness. Read Zechariah 3. Romans 5 says that we have been justified by faith. Justified literally means we have been righteous, okay, to use it bad English. We have been made righteous, clothed in the spotless righteousness of Jesus. Sometimes the devil has come to me and he said, you know, who do you think you are? You're a sinner. And he'll start to remind me 
of my failures. I quickly agree with him and say, yes, I'm not worthy. But Jesus Christ is worthy. And I'm clothed in his righteousness. And it is pure, pristine, spotless. Find fault with that if you can, devil. He doesn't like that too much. And so, uh, what an amazing thing. I have been thoroughly cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, Whenever uh, they would become ceremonially unclean in the Old Testament, they would have to go through a cleansing process. Um, if, if you touch a dead body, which is actually the scripture, it talks about the red heifer in here, <laughs> and uh, the, the red uh, uh, young cow, I think it, my translation says. But uh, they, they had this, this thing where you would be polluted if you touched something unclean. Or if you went out to war, and you were, you were there around the dead bodies that were there, you'd be unclean. And, and so they would take this animal called the red heifer, and they would sacrifice. By the way, they actually have a herd of red heifers in Israel waiting for the temple sacrifices to be reestablished. But what they would do is they would take the ashes of this sacrificial animal, and they would mix it with water, and they would uh, sprinkle this water on the troops that were coming back from battle, and it would cleanse them of the defilement of being out among the unclean things. You and I, every, every day that uh, we live, we're out in this world. And we're among the unclean things out in this world. And uh, it, the blood of Jesus always is sufficient to bring cleansing. Um, I can remember um, sometimes being at work, um, especially when I was in the military, and uh, just feeling, those of you who've been in the military, you know what I'm talking about, but just feeling like I needed a bath after all the, the talk that was going on at, at work and everything. And um, I would open the scripture, and after I got off, and uh, Sherry worked a little bit later than I did, uh, and, and I would spend that time just in the Word of God, and God would just restore me, and it was like it was cleansed away and washed away and uh, but how did that happen it was made possible by the blood of Jesus his blood cleanses me every day that I live it makes me fit for his presence Um, it uh, it takes care of those issues of pollution uh, of this world even in even in my own sinfulness the blood of Jesus is is effective I love what he says, your, your mercies are new every morning. How is that possible? Because the cleansing work of Jesus never ceases. Um, until one day we will receive that glorified body and have no more sin nature. And uh, then that work will be complete. So what a great blessing. So the blessings of our salvation, a perfectly clear conscience, an eternal redemption, a thorough cleansing. Next, a prepared worship. If you look back at verse 14. He says, uh, how much more um, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve, you can also translate that, worship the living God. By the way, your service is worship. Uh, But the word that's used here is not the normal word for service, but it's the word that was used in, in the context of Old Testament worship. 
the, the activities that they would go through each day as they would serve God in this ceremony of worship. What is it that prepares me to worship? I remember when I was a teenager going through one of the Old Testament books and God was saying through one of the prophets, he says, he says I can't stand your worship. While you're in the sanctuary, you're thinking about what you're going to do when you get out. Uh, your focus is not on me, and, and, uh, and, and I know what you're doing. Uh, and, and, uh, and I was thinking to myself, you know what, I've done that. I've thought about what I'm going to do after I get out of church. And, uh, you know, uh, and I thought, wow, and I, how in the world can I ever measure up in worship? I'll tell you how, through the work of Jesus Christ. Listen, you and I, our, our hearts, the Bible says, are desperately wicked. Who can know them? I mean, then our old nature never, never gets better. It, it just stays bad, okay? We have to deal with that thing. It's, a, it's the old albatross around our neck till one day we go to be with Jesus. But um, uh, praise God, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, including our old nature. Uh, but um, my old nature... And sometimes the sins I don't even realize I've committed or maybe sins that I am committing that I don't even realize. How do I ever have confidence in worship? Because Jesus has paid the price for every single one of those sins. I love what uh, somebody mentioned this years ago um, and where it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, that is the sins we know about, because if you don't know about them, you can't confess them, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from the, just the things we confess? No, from all unrighteousness. You see, Jesus has already paid for it, whether we know it or not, you know? And so when I come to God in worship, my worship is made acceptable before God because of what Jesus did at the cross. So, uh, listen, don't think that you're, when you come to God in your quiet time that you're ever worthy. You're worthy not because of yourself, but you're worthy because of the righteous garment of Jesus that he's placed upon you. And uh, Sometimes I'll do that. I, you know, I, I have had times, matter of fact, I had a time this week, I, I said, Lord, it seems like something's not right in my relationship with you, but I'm not really sure what it is. So, Lord, I just acknowledge right now I probably have sinned in some way against you that I don't realize, but uh, I don't come on the basis of my own righteousness. I come pleading the blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you know, God always responds to that. <laughs> he, he, uh, he, he does. He does. I mean, you plead the blood of Jesus Christ. And what a, what a wonderful thing. I have been cleansed by the blood, but also I have been prepared for worship. The priests in the Old Testament, they had to go through all these cleansing rituals. I don't have to do that, praise God. I have been cleansed through the once-for-all sacrifice of my great Savior, Jesus Christ. And he has prepared me for worship. He is the theme of my worship. As you talk about these great truths of what Jesus has done and the blessings he's given us, that makes me want to worship. He's my theme uh, of worship, but he is also the one who enables me to worship uh, and makes me fit for worship, and I praise him for it.
So the blessings of our salvation, a perfectly clear conscience, an eternal redemption, a thorough cleansing, a prepared worship, a faithful mediator. Look at verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus, in, uh, in his work at the cross, was the mediator for us, wasn't he? Um, our sin was placed upon him, and he offered himself as the sacrifice. By the way, a lot of people don't think about this too much, but generally we think of the cross as being for us, and it is for us, but it's not only for us. It's primarily for God, right? Because without the cross, God could not have a relationship with sinful man. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I love the story of Joseph, and you know the story and how his brothers sell him into slavery and uh, how years later after he's been a slave and he's been in prison, he rises to power, and they don't know who he is, but they come looking for food. And um, he asks them, uh, is your father living? And Yeah. Well, well, do you have any other brothers? Well, yes, we do. One that is he's the, the uh, child of my father's old age, and he, he's dear to him, and he loves him, and he keeps him with him all the time. And, and Joseph says, bring him to me. Jacob didn't like that too much. And Jacob says, uh-uh, he's not, listen, I sent Joseph to you. You didn't take care of him. I'm not sending, he didn't actually say that, but that's what he's thinking. I'm not sending Benjamin with you. They say, well, if you're not sending with us, we're not going up. Because he said, you're not going to see my face unless you bring Benjamin with us. And, and if we go there, we're not just going to make a trip and not get the food we need. And so reluctantly, Jacob agrees. And you know the story how J Joseph uh, secretly has his servants put stuff in, the, in Benjamin's bag so that when the bags are open, um, his cup is there, and he says, Benjamin's stolen, and he says, he says I'm going to take him into custody. The rest of you can go back to your father in peace. And Judah, who was part of the, he was, he was a ringleader selling Joseph into slavery, uh, he's repented. He's gone through some situations in his life. He's repented, and he steps up, and he begins to intercede on behalf of Benjamin. He says, look, he said, you asked about our, our father. You asked if he had any other brothers, and we were honest with you. And you said, come get him. And we, we, we've told you, the father, our father's life is wrapped up in this boy. If we, don't, if we don't take him back, he will die. That's how much he loves this boy. And Judah says, take me instead. And in that moment, Judah becomes a picture of Jesus Christ because of the Father's great love for us said I can't I can't stand it my life is wrapped up in this and Jesus said don't worry about it Father I'll take care of it take me instead this is what our Savior did for us he is a faithful mediator. He offers his own blood to the Father and satisfies his requirements on our behalf. 
and on behalf of the Father offers us the free grace of his eternal life. And he continues to mediate at the Father's right hand as he intercedes for us. What a Savior. So, we, the blessings of our salvation, a perfectly clear conscience and eternal redemption, a thorough cleansing, a well-prepared uh, worship, a faithful mediator, and eternal inheritance. Look at verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. You see, you and I are joint heirs with Christ. <laughs> we put our faith in him. We're joint heirs with Christ. We have an eternal inheritance. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. He's promised us rewards in this place of eternal reward. But we have the blessings of our eternal inheritance in measure now. Because Jesus has come and the person of his Holy Spirit lives within us. He lives within us. Um, and we have the blessings as a down payment of that eternal inheritance. Uh, I have a, a relative who... who uh, a while back, probably about a year ago, uh, gave me a gift. And she told me, she said, you know, uh, I was going to uh, leave different things to uh, uh, my nieces and nephews, but I just wanted you to have this. I wanted to make sure you got it. <laughs> and I also, uh, I wanted you to have this so you could enjoy it before I die. And uh, that's kind of what God has done for us. In Jesus Christ, he's given us part of our eternal inheritance as a down payment. It's not everything, but it is a taste of what is yet to come. And uh, what a, a blessing to know him and, and to know, listen, this world's not our home. <laughs> we're just, we're passing through this place and one day we're going to go to glory. And we're going to receive the rewards. And I, I love what 2 Corinthians 5 says. He says, God has prepared us for this very purpose. Did you know what God does to us here? It is important, but it's not God's ultimate purpose for us. I've got a, I've got a purpose that is yet to come. One day I'm going to be called up to glory, whether he takes me out of the ground or whether I'm caught up to meet him in the air. I'm going to be taken out of this place and I will begin to realize the purpose for which I was created as never before. I'm an heir with Jesus Christ. He has a purpose for me and a plan for me, an inheritance for me to enjoy. And just as the Israelites entered the land of Canaan and found God's blessing, one day we will enter the eternal city. And receive God's blessings forevermore. And it's for one reason and one reason only. Jesus died for us. What an amazing blessing. Finally, I want you to see the, the blessings of our salvation. He gives us a complete forgiveness. Look at verse 22. 
According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. That's, imp- that's an important thing. There, there, you could offer grain offerings in the Old Testament, which were bloodless offerings. But they were offered um, uh, along with other things because they were one aspect of the picture of who Jesus was and what he was going to come to do. So, um, the, But the second part of the verse is, is very important. He says, without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness. If you have King James, it says there is no remission. What does remission mean? Forgiveness. (laughs) There is no forgiveness without the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, I want to tell you something. I have a complete forgiveness. When I got saved, he didn't just forgive me for what I'd done before I was saved. He forgave me for everything I had done in the past what I've done up to now, and what I will do in the future. It was all taken care of at the cross. And I have a complete and unconditional forgiveness purchased for me by the blood of Jesus Christ. And listen, that doesn't mean God won't discipline me if I need it. He, you know, he, he still knows, he knows what I need, and he will provide what I need. And his rod and staff, they do comfort me. Uh, and there will be those times. But my forgiveness is assured. You say, well, what about 1 John 1, 9? He'll, he'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not the purchased forgiveness that Jesus' cross is talking about, even though it's made possible by Jesus' cross. Uh, the forgiveness is assured because of what Jesus did at the cross. The forgiveness 1 John 1, 9 is talking about is relational, okay? And you say, well, what's, I mean, that's splitting hairs, right? But, but there is a difference. There's a difference between, uh, you know, if you, if you it's kind of like if you're married and you get in a fight with your spouse, right? It doesn't mean you're not married. Uh, that is, is, is the case. Um, as long as you're, you're staying married, right? I mean, you're going to be married. There'll be, there'll be times where there is tension or whatever. Uh, so, yes, there is, there is forgiveness relationally in terms of, okay, I've broken fellowship with God. Uh, it's kind of like the, uh, the, the man and the woman who were driving along in the pickup truck and his, uh, you know, back in the early days of their relationship, you know, uh, they'd be cuddling there in the pickup cab, you know, and everything. And his wife said, you, you know what? She said, she said, you remember how we used to cuddle when we were first married? Why don't we do that anymore? Why did we stop doing that? He said, well, I ain't moved. <laughs> you know, he, he's still right where he was. That's kind of what God says to us. You know, it, it's not that, that uh, our position as forgiven has changed. It's just that there's distance between us and God that needs to be removed. That's what that forgiveness is talking about. So, yes, the cross makes that possible, but um, forgiveness is there, the positional forgiveness is there regardless, okay? We confess our sin to have the fellowship restored, but that doesn't mean my position's changed, right? I'm forgiven. The price has already been paid, um, Praise God, I don't have to earn God's favor. I have it. 
forgiveness is mine. Um, listen, uh, we, we talk about, uh, uh, we ask people when we go out and we witness, we ask them, um, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And uh, probably 90% of the time, people will try to say, well, I've been good, or I've gone to church, or I've done good things in the community, or I've got more good works than bad works. There's a whole lot of answers that people give to that. But really, there's only one answer you can give, and that is I put all my trust in Jesus Christ who paid the price for me at the cross. And because of his righteousness, I'm going to enter heaven. And God has promised to open the door wide and to allow me to come in because of Jesus' blood for me. What a blessing. Um, have you ever had somebody that, you know, uh, who's a historian? Uh, no matter what you do, I mean, it, they, they, it goes into the file of their memory and they never forget it. And they'll say, you remember 25 years ago when you said this? Or when you did this, how stupid can you be? And they just bring it up, right? They're historians. <laughs> Christ doesn't bring it up. The Bible says that our sin was cast into the sea of forgetfulness. It's not that God doesn't know about it. He's omniscient, right? But he chooses to forget it. Have you ever been guilty about something and you come up, and you've already apologized for it, but you come up to a person again and you say, I'm, I'm so sorry, I really am so sorry about that. And they say, it's forgotten. Don't worry about it. They don't mean by that that they don't remember what you did, right? They, they just are telling you it's no longer going to be an issue. It won't be brought up again. Our relationship is good. Jesus has cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. God's not going to bring them up again. You say, well, what about the judgment? The judgment for Christians, I believe, is a judgment of rewards. He evaluates what we've done for Christ, and we will receive rewards. What's worthless will be burned up, we'll lose, we'll suffer loss for what's worthless, but what we have done in the right spirit and so forth uh, for Christ, our service for Christ, we'll receive rewards for. Uh, but the reason I believe well, I, there's, there's a couple of reasons I believe that we won't be judged for sin in heaven. Number one, Jesus already paid the price for it, right? Colossians says this. He has taken the handwriting that was against us. Handwriting, what are you talking about? The sins, the record of our sins. He's taken the handwriting against it, and he has taken it out of the middle and nailed it to his cross. You see, you, when you in those days when you died on a cross, the charge for which you died would be nailed to the cross, right? Remember, Pilate wrote the King of the Jews, and Jews didn't like that. Well, he's not our king, you know. And he said, "Well, what I've written, I've written." Well, that may have been the physical charge that was placed up there, but the real charge was your sin and mine. God took that sin. You see, it was a barrier between us and God. He took it out of the middle. And he nailed it to Christ's cross. Here's another great scripture. It says, he has blotted out the handwriting 
that was against God. Isn't that great? Ichtik is eraser, or if you want to get it really up into this, this day and age, his delete key, okay, or his back button, or however you want to put it. Uh, he has removed the record of our sins. That's not an issue. Listen, I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to have a party. My sin's not going to be mentioned anymore. Praise the name of Jesus. These are the blessings of our salvation. All of them, from beginning to end, for one reason, one reason only, Jesus paid the price at the cross. How great a Savior. Listen, that's why we're going to cast our crowns at His feet. That's why they're going to look through all heaven and see, hey, can we find somebody who's worthy? And John says, I was looking, and they couldn't find anybody. That Roger Pugh, he's not worthy. <laughs> I, they couldn't find anybody that was worthy in all of heaven. But wait, I see a lamb, a lion of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy to open the scroll and the seals upon it. You see, Jesus Christ is the worthy lamb that was slain. And we've just tasted the beginning of the blessing. We have the down payment. The full weight of all that God has is yet to come. The weight of glory. I don't deserve a bit of it. Neither do you. <laughs> That's why whatever rewards that I receive in heaven, as fast as I can, I'm going to get to the feet of Jesus and I'm going to throw them before him and say, Lord, you Father, we thank you for the amazing gift of your son. Thank you for the price he paid for us at, at Calvary. Thank you for the blessings, God, that you've given us, that you've begun to give us, and you will continue to give us, and one day will give us the fullness. Lord, help us thank you every day that we live. Help us praise you. Help us live for you to honor you. Lord, help us have backbones of iron in this culture to speak for you and love, but to speak truth and to be faithful to you. And uh, Father, you have done so much for us. And Father, if there's someone here tonight that is uh, does not have a relationship with you and has not trusted Jesus Christ, I pray that tonight would be the night that they would repent of their sin and receive the gift of eternal life and simple trust. In Jesus' name, amen.